Do you find yourself saying you're too busy for Bible study? No more excuses. Now there's a way for you to participate in a 30-minute study from your phone, tablet, or computer from anywhere around the world. Aaron Olson of Sandalfeet Ministries teaches lunchtime lessons via Facebook Live every Thursday at 12 p.m. Central Standard Time at facebook.com slash sandalfeet. This podcast is recorded during the Facebook Live event for those who'd like to listen to the teaching again or help out in case you miss a week. So grab your lunch, your Bible, and a notepad before we begin. If you'd like to get Aaron's teaching notes, you can visit sandalfeet.org and click on Books and Bible Studies to see all the available free Bible study material. Hey, thanks for listening today, and we hope you tune in each week for Lunchtime Lessons. The Book of 1 Timothy. Today we'll be covering chapter 6, and while I'm not exactly sure why these first two verses didn't end up in chapter 5, because it would make sense that they would have been in chapter 5, but we'll have to cover them today in chapter 6. So um, today, this whole chapter, this whole book of 1 Timothy has been a little difficult. It addresses some issues that are really hard to talk about, and issues that have divided not only society, but divided the church for many centuries. Um, we fought about things about why, what women are allowed to do and not do in the church. Um, we talked about false teaching and how prevalent that was then and still is today. Uh, we've talked about right conduct in the household of God, what that looks like. Uh, we still have many people who struggle with what it looks like to conduct themselves correctly as a member of the household of God. Um, many of these issues that are addressed in the book of 1 Timothy are issues that the modern church struggle with still today. So I don't know if maybe we're not reading our Bibles enough um, or learning enough or really digging in uh, to God, caring about his heart, his heart for his people and his heart for a dying world. Um, I have no solutions. I have no answers. But I know that in this book, Paul gives us so many good instructions on how to live godly lives, how to conduct ourselves in the household of God, um, how to be Christians who are on fire for the gospel to be spread and advanced throughout the world. Um, He has a heart. He has a missionary heart to make Jesus known um, around his environment when he lived. That was his main objective. Once he encountered Jesus on that road to Damascus um, and he became a born-again believer, he laid down his life, and that's what he pursued for the remainder of his days, to tell as many people as he could about the saving grace of Jesus Christ and the power that is found in his redemption. And in the church, right, if if we had just left it there, if it would have just, maybe it would have just been easier if God had just said, okay, you believe in Jesus and you get to go to heaven, the end. But instead, he commanded us to go out into the world and tell others who didn't know about, who don't know about Jesus to, about Jesus. And in that context, we develop what's called a church, body of believers gathering together to get together to praise God, to worship God, to pray to God, to dig into his word together. And whenever we put two or three or more people together, there's bound to be conflict because we all have our own opinions. We all have our own gifts. Um, but instead of fighting against one another, we should be working with one another. And that's really the biggest message that Paul conveys to Timothy. And listen, this is what we need to do. We need to guard the gospel. We talked about that many chapters ago. Guard the gospel, fight against false teaching, conduct yourselves right and do the right thing. And 
the first two verses in the chapter of six are really difficult issues, and we're going to talk about them in context, historically in context, um, in just a second. But I'd like to open in prayer today. Um, I think the issue of slavery is a huge issue, especially for those of you watching in America. Um, it has a lot of bad connotations. And let me say first that that issue of slavery, the issue that we faced here in America during the African slave trade, is not what Paul is talking about in this chapter. So let me preface it by saying that. But let me go to the Lord in prayer first. Heavenly Father, Lord, just thank you so much for this time, for this opportunity to teach about your word, uh, just to spread the love of your gospel to all of those who are listening. Father, I pray that even in this moment, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would convict our hearts, Lord, to confess where perhaps we have misconstrued and misused scripture as it relates to slavery. Lord, we know that slavery is a result of sin in this world. Um, that's not of your creation, but it's a result of what man and woman did. Lord, we know that you have a plan and a purpose for all of us, including those who are free and slaved. Lord, I pray that we would confess our sins, repent, Lord, when we have had um, wrong thoughts, that we have committed wrong actions against those who find themselves enslaved even today, and against those who are dealing with the issue of slavery from years past. Father, I pray that you would help us as believers in Christ be reconciled together through your word, through what your word says, Lord, not our opinion, not what man says, Lord, but your word as it says and speaks life into each one of us. So Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be ever present, that he would give me the words to speak today, regardless of what I've prepared. And Lord, I pray that healed, hearts would be healed. Lord, that eyes would be open, that hearts would be open to see something uh, perhaps differently than they ever have before. Lord, um, maybe because they've even been a student of false teaching. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to teach your word, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So as I mentioned, let's be clear, slavery was not a part of God's creation. It is a result of sin in the world. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, God provided everything for them. They didn't need to work. They didn't need to worry about where their food was coming from. But as they committed sin and they were expelled from the garden, they were to work the land, them and their descendants. And that's where we find ourselves today. And that's where they found themselves throughout history. There would always be a class of people, different people with different jobs and different pay grades and different things. And so when we're looking in the context of slavery, um, as it relates historically to this church, to the church, to what Paul was writing about, and to, we need to remember what he was talking about. Now, world history is filled with different types of slavery, and I'm going to talk about four of those types of slavery today. Um, there was one which is considered Hebrew servanthood. And this is a type of slavery that was set up to help impoverished Israelites. Now in Deuteronomy, you can write these down, I'm not going to read them. Deuteronomy 15, 1 to 18, and Leviticus 25, 35 to 43. It gives some context about that. Um, a person could sell themselves into poverty um, into slavery in order to escape poverty. If you know the story of the widow um, who had two sons who couldn't pay her debts and somebody was about to take them and take her sons into slavery um, to pay off her debts. And so she was able by the grace of God to receive a miracle by God to pay off her debts so her sons didn't have to be sold into slavery or taken into slavery to pay her debt. But 
oftentimes widows and uh, people who are without family members, not necessarily widows, but um, maybe people that had been exiled, lepers, things like that, they didn't have a way of providing for themselves. And so they could sell themselves into slavery to escape poverty. Um, the person basically would enter an agreement into a contract to work off their debt um, until they could be free and a full citizen again. Uh, cruelty was never intended for slavery for Israelites, never. Um, it was to care for the poor. It was to provide a way for the poor to be provided for. Um, God provided mercy for the slaves by instituting a Sabbath year every seven years where slaves actually had to be set free. And that's found in Exodus 21, 2 to 4. So God provided a way out for these slaves. He said, listen, they can work, 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 but on the seventh year, their debt is paid and you need to release them. Now, what they did after that seven years, hopefully they, they were able to make good choices and, and do good things so they didn't find themselves back in slavery. But, but God provided for them. He said, release them and let them go free. Um, and so when we're looking at uh, this context of chapter six, think about that Hebrew servant hit. And then I also want you to think about the next set of slaves that we're going to talk about, which would have been Roman slavery. Some scholars estimate that over one-third of the people in the Roman Empire were actually slaves at the time. So that's about 50 to 60 million people. That is a lot of people. Uh, many of these uh, slaves uh, were actually employees who held positions. So think people like teachers, cooks managers, some government officials, craftsmen, those were considered slaves. Those were people who did a work for people who maybe were owned by somebody, somebody of power, of influence, that utilized these people's talents and gifts uh, and resources, if you will, to serve them. Um, slavery in the Roman Empire was solely based on economic and societal class. It was not based on ethnicity and skin color. So it's a lot different, right? These were people who that were working. So we're talking about slaves. They just were working for somebody. And it wasn't like today where we go to work, we search monster.com and we pick a job that we think we're going to like, and we voluntarily go to that job. Some of these people weren't necessarily voluntarily, voluntarily in these positions, but they were working in these positions for the greater good. Um, many slaves actually had slaves themselves. So there were different even classes of, of slave, slaves, if you will. Uh, some of these slaves, many of them actually had slaves themselves doing work for them. Um, some of them would become slaves solely in order to become Roman citizenship and enter into Roman society. Uh, those who were outside that would become a slave so that they could have Roman citizenship, which was important back then. Romans had a lot of power. Um, Slavery was often beneficial for the poorer individuals because it provided stability and security. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense, but um, to some of us who have never had to work for much that we've always been provided for, but think about people in other countries today, many of you who might be watching today, but who are in poorer regions, poorer countries, who don't have the means, who live below the poverty level, that need a way out. And sometimes you think that the only way out is to go work for somebody else. Basically, put yourself in a position of slavery, working for somebody whom you may or may not be able to get away from voluntarily until your debt is paid. Um, 
Many of these Roman slaves were actually released by the time they were 30 years of age. They survived. They lived that long, 30 years of age. And so after that, they had opportunities outside of slavery. So they weren't slaves forever. Um, but many of them were released at the age of 30. And while this sounds glamorous, that they were teachers and craftsmen and government officials, remember, not all slave positions were desirable and not all slaves were treated well even in the roman empire as you can imagine um, the lowest of the low positions were powerless and they didn't have a lot um, a lot of positions so when we think of these two these are really who paul is addressing because remember the context the church that we're talking about we're talking to to jews and converted jews and converted gentiles living in this Roman Empire that um, would know these slaves, would know this servanthood, would understand this. And so when Paul says in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1, it says, all slaves should so, show full respect for their masters so they will not bring shame on the name of God and his teaching. If the masters are believers, that is no excuse for being disrespectful. Those slaves should work all the harder because their efforts are helping other believers who are well-loved. So in this context, Paul is saying to these people, remember, in this letter to 1 Timothy, he's addressing the church at Ephesus. So like I said, he has already addressed lots of different groups of people within the church, women, elders, uh, deacons, pastors, false teachers, all of these things. So now he's talking to these slaves because remember, these slaves in this culture had a standing and they were treated differently than our image of the African slave trade. And so they were actually most likely sitting in that church with their owners, sitting there with them. And some scholars actually believe that the reason that Paul addressed these slaves and said, listen, you need to show full respect to your master slaves is because some of these slaves were saying now that they had found their identity in Christ that, well, maybe they didn't need to pay their debt. Maybe they didn't need to be respectful of their Christian slave owners, their masters anymore. And Paul is saying, no, 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 that's not right. You need to fulfill your obligation, whatever that is, and you need to do it respectfully. You know, if you were 30 days ago, if you were a Gentile who had sold himself into slavery, and now all of a sudden you know Jesus Christ, that doesn't give you permission to just drop all your debts and just say, hey, I'm, equal, I'm the same as you. Because Paul was saying, no, there's, there's no free or slave. According to Galatians 3.28, we're all one in Christ Jesus. But we all have to fulfill our obligations. We all, most of us, unless you own your own business, you work for somebody else. And so this is basically the context. Paul's saying, listen, you look, work for them. You have a commitment to them. You need to fulfill that obligation. You need to do that. And you need to treat them respectfully because they helped you, your masters, they helped you in your time of need. They gave you a position. They helped you with your poverty. Um, they've given you a way to use your skills if they were like a teacher or a craftsman. So don't say that just because you're a Christian now that you don't have to fulfill your obligation. This is what Paul's saying um, here. So... Uh, for centuries, basically, people have used this verse, along with many other verses, especially in the New Testament, as saying slavery is okay. And remember, slavery was never God's design. But in this context, this is a, a hierarchical level of, you know, how people were defined as we would define people as employees today. Um, 
there's also a third class that we have some context with uh, that we think about, and those are basically indentured servitude, um, indentured slaves, if you will. Um, and these were more common in colonial America. Uh, basically, people couldn't afford to come to America on their own, so they sold themselves into slavery until they could pay off their debt. And uh, they say historians estimate that over one half to two thirds of European white immigrants who came to America were actually indentured servants. Um, this is much more like the Hebrew servanthood. Uh, they were trying to better themselves to get out of poverty. So many of the European immigrants to America wanted to better themselves. They wanted to get out from where they were and they wanted to uh, come to America. So they said, listen, I'll sell myself as an indentured slave. You set the price and I'm going to work until that's paid off. And that's what I'm going to do. Now, what many of us here in America especially think about is the fourth one, and that's the African slave trade. And that was promoted across the 18th and 19th century, and millions and millions upon millions of um, African Africans were sold um, and traded across Europe and eventually into America. And many of these people were subjected to harsh conditions and abuse. Um, you know, they were brought here, not all on their own accord, not all willingly. They were people went over there, got them, basically kidnapped them. We're going to talk about kidnapping in a minute and how that's actually wrong. And, um, and so this is the context that we have in America. So it's really scarred America, but that's not the slavery that Paul is talking about here. Paul is talking about this different set of classes of workers that they had back during, um, in the, in the Hebrew culture and as well as the Roman culture. And this is what he's talking about and addressing, um, so it might seem odd, right, that Paul would throw these two short verses about slaves honoring their masters into this, but we need to remember that he was telling Paul, or Paul was telling Timothy that this letter were, was instructions for the church, and it was, the letter not, was not just for Timothy, but Timothy was to read it out loud to the church. So he wanted to make sure that Timothy got this message across, that we needed to, slaves, you need to honor your masters regardless of whether or not you're a believer in Christ now, you need to fulfill your obligation. Um, so quickly, in a nutshell, let's remember this about slavery, because I know this is so divisive, but slavery is not a part of creation. It's a product of sin, right? We have needs. Uh, we're all one in Christ Jesus, like I said in Galatians 3.28. Um, in the new creation, there's no distinction between free or slave. Uh, in Revelation 21.22, it talks about that. Biblical instructions concerning slavery do not imply that there's a biblical approval of slavery. Now, as we've seen throughout Scripture, there's lots of times divorce, for instance. Um, divorce is not in God's creation and God's plan, but because it, it happened, God needed to provide instruction for it. And it's similar to what we find for slavery. Because of sin, we find ourselves in poverty in different societal classes. So instruction needed to be provided on how to deal with that. And basically, it was just love each other, right? I mean, that's that's the command. It goes well. Masters, treat your slaves well. Slaves, treat your masters well. It's a mutual respect and love that should go between employer and employee. Um, the Bible really condemns slavery because it goes against God's initial creation. It said that God created man and woman in his own image. Um, and so that we all have equal dignity before God. In slavery, basically, it draws lines you know, between classes. And that wasn't God's intent. That was a result of sin. We're all equally submissive to God. It doesn't matter what our position is, whether um, 
what we do, who we are, we all submit to God first. So our behavior, our attitudes, our hearts, our thoughts, all of that should flow from our submissiveness to God. Um, And we're all going to receive equal justice from God one day, whether that's on this side of eternity or on that side of eternity, we'll all be set free. Um, If you find yourself feeling like a slave, you know, even in America, we may not have the African slave trade anymore, but I think about all of our migrant workers, our immigrant workers. I think about people who do jobs that none of us really want to do, but have to do um, janitors and and housekeepers and um, menial work, garbage men. I mean, those sorts of things, those are jobs that really nobody wants, would want to, to do. You don't wake up one morning and say, that's what I aspire to be, but those are jobs that people do. Um, And, and they're, I mean, those people probably feel like they're a slave to that. They're a slave to having to make an income to be able to provide for their family um, without ever really seeing a way out. And I think if we see people like that, that we see that there are modern slaves in America, and I'm not talking about human trafficking slaves. I'm talking about modern slaves who work really hard every single day to pay their debts, uh, to better their families, to do things that a lot of us wouldn't want to do. And... Um, but you know what? They're the same as us. I'm not better than a janitor, and the janitor's not better than me, and the president, you know, isn't better than the people who clean the White House, and the CEO is no better than the person who answers his phone. So we're all equal in the eyes of God, and we will all receive, all of us, all of us who believe in Jesus Christ will receive equal justice one day um, in heaven because we'll all be the same. Um, so we have that hope. Um and really, the Bible denounces physical abuse. There's no, there's no excuse for physical abuse, right? The Old Testament said, if you, if you hurt a slave's eye, if you break his arm, you need to let him go free. And if, a, if an owner kills a slave, well, then the owner should be put to death as well. So the Bible is against physically abusing, harming anybody, because that goes against loving one another. It makes sense, right? Um, when we say an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, that was the Old Testament. Jesus said to love everybody. You can't love someone who you're trying to take their eye out. And the Bible does denounce human trafficking. Very clear. Paul even addresses that issue in this letter. He says in uh, verse verses 9 and 10, he talks about uh, kidnapping in his list of things. He says, um, he says here... The laws for people who are sexually immoral or who practice homosexuality, who are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching. And those slave traders, that's the original word for kidnapping in that language. It basically says that they're lawless and rebellious and they're ungodly. And so it's never okay to kidnap a person, to steal a person. That is never okay, and that's what human trafficking is. And it basically says it doesn't matter if you're the person doing the kidnapping or the person receiving the one who's been kidnapped. It's equally bad, and it's not allowed, and that you're basically lawless and rebellious and ungodly if you do those things, um, according to God's word. And And so the Bible does regulate slavery. It provides for physical protection and financial provision for slaves. God talks about how much a slave should be should receive and, and how they should be set free once they're in this in the seventh year and the year of jubilee when their debts are even if their debts not paid but they should be released and be debt free um and so in the bible encourages slaves just as much as it encourages encourages the free the bible is not just for the free the bible is for all 
God's word is for all. Jesus is for all. And if that's true, then we need to be for all. And we need to be encouragers of those who find themselves in less than opportune positions. And the Bible is for everybody. We don't withhold it from anyone. Um, And if we do, that's an injustice against God. And and that's between you and him. Um, And so the witness, basically, Paul is concerned. His greatest concern in these first two verses was that unbelieving masters would see the grace of God through the lives of their slaves, right? That's what he's saying. He's saying, treat them well. And if they're, and if they are believers, your masters happen to be a believer, treat them even better because these believers, these masters of yours are actually trying to do the right thing. They're trying to help people, um, by doing the right thing. So treat them well. And we need to remember two things. Um, these first two chapters is all we're covering right now, but these first two verses, but I think it's important. Uh, two things. Christianity is not primarily aimed at social reform. Remember that. Christianity is not meant to change societal structure. Paul never told them, the Christians, to work against the system of slavery. He never said that. But Christianity, what it is, it's primarily aimed at personal redemption. And what I mean by this is that as people are redeemed by the gospel, societal structures are transformed. Why? Because it all starts in a person's heart. Um, Redeemed people become in community with other people regardless of societal uh, classes or economic classes, the color of our skin. None of that matters once we are in community with fellow believers. The moment we start seeing believers differently because of where they live, who they are, what color their skin is, We've broken down the gospel into something it was never meant to be. And so uh, when we call other people other things, it's not right. And so Christianity is aimed at personal redemption. And when that happens, when people are transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, their lives and hearts will be changed. And as a result, they will start seeing their sin, their sin that they have, their sin that they were um, saved from, they'll start seeing it through the lens of scripture, through God's heart instead of their own tainted heart. And when that happens, societies can change because we can love people of other colors. We can love people of other socioeconomic backgrounds just the same as we would people of our own color or people of our own status. And, and, and if we, and if we can do that, if we could, if we could change the culture through our personal redemption stories, that has so much of a greater impact than people just standing out and marching and screaming at the top of their lungs for whatever it is that they believe in. Because their hearts are still not good. Their hearts might still be in a place that's kind of ugly and tainted. But we need to focus on the gospel. Paul is very intent on reminding Timothy that it's about the gospel. In my notes for this week, there's some practical applications, but Really, it's just talking about, do you treat your employer, if they're a Christian, differently or not differently? And why? If they're not a, if they're not a Christian, do you treat them differently and why? Um, are there things that you've carried forward from maybe false doctrine that you were raised on or deep-seated issues that you grew up with that you're carrying forward today that maybe you need to repent of, um, that maybe you need to... to talk to God about um, and set your heart right so that that way you can reach and break barriers um, that have been put in front of you by false teaching, by man, 
definitely not by God because God doesn't put any barriers between us and anybody else, especially those who need to hear the gospel. The numbers are huge. They say there's only about, um, let me give these to you. There's how many people in the world? Billions of people in the world and 7 billion people in the world, something like that. And such a small percentage say they are actually Christian. So there's something like 4.7 billion people in the world who do not identify as Christians. And 2 billion of those people have no access to the gospel. So if we're more concerned about what their paychecks look like or what the color of their skin look like or where they live as opposed to where we live, what color of the skin we have and what job we have, if we're more concerned about that, than the fact that 4.7 billion people will spend their eternity in hell if we don't reach them with the gospel and give them the opportunity to receive his saving grace, then we have completely missed the mark of the gospel. And this is what Paul is telling Timothy to not do. Paul is telling Timothy to guard the gospel. He says in the next verses, in verses uh, 3 through 10, he tells Timothy basically, We need to open our eyes, church. There is a spiritual problem in the world. We need to address this spiritual problem. Um, We need to be aware that there are billions of people who are not saved Christians. Um, We need to be aware that there's urgent physical needs in the world. Um, The Western world, the wealthy Western world, makes up the majority of the income in the world. And yet we hold on to so much of it, and people are dying every day in poverty. And we need to open our eyes to that. Church, it's our responsibility according to the word. We need to take care of those that are in poverty. Now, it doesn't mean that they need to become our slaves, but it means that we need to to provide a way for them to make an income. How can we do that? Lots of people do. There's microfinance ministries that are set up. There's uh, ministries that go over there and teach them how to do life skills and how to start farms and and how to, to help themselves where they are without having to be extradited from that company to be sold into slavery, um, to equip them with tools to help them out of their poverty. And that's what we, the church, that's what God has commissioned us to do, to take the gospel to the world to help them out of their poverty, both spiritual poverty and physical poverty. Poverty. That's what makes the church better. That's what makes us different than the world. Um, it makes us care. When the unbelieving world is caring more about the people who find themselves in poverty than the church is caring about the people who find themselves in poverty, we have a problem within the church. And I think we need to confess that. Um, and just realize the extravagant opportunity that we have as the church for the kingdom. Um, because there is so much spiritual need in the world, there's so much physical need in the world, we have an opportunity to make a huge impact for the glory of God. Um, and for the salvation of many, and that's exciting. Um, In the next verses, too, he talks to Timothy about guarding his heart, right? He he talks back again about these false teachers, right? The false teachers. Don't fall into the prey of these false teachers. Some people may contradict our teaching, but there are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly life, Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stirs up arguments and ending in jealousy and division, slander and evil suspicions. These people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt and they have turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. So here, Paul is reminding Timothy, listen, there are false teachers among you. They're telling you stuff because they're ignorant 
uh, because they're proud. They're just making up stuff because maybe it makes people laugh during a sermon, uh, makes them look good, makes them, you know, whatever, fill in the blanks, sell books, uh, get request speaking engagements. I mean, in our modern context, but here he's talking about, listen, these people are just making up stories because now they're building a following and that excites them. That feeds our evil, wicked desire in our heart, our selfish desires. And Paul's saying, Timothy, guard your heart against these false teachers. Um, they have an unhealthy desire just to stir up controversy. They want to just stir it up. Um, they want to cause divisions. False teachers have a lo love of money. They want to be given the money. They want to be the ties to be brought to them instead of given to the church to help the poor. We saw that uh, with Judas. Remember, uh, Judas was talking about when when uh, the alabaster jar and, and she was anointing Jesus. Mary was anointing Jesus' feet with the oil. And Judas was like, what? Like, you could have sold that for so much money and helped so many people in need. And Judas didn't really care about the people in need. He actually wanted the money for himself to put it into the treasury because he was skimming off the top of the treasury. And this is what Paul's saying. You know, these false teachers here, they're, they're greedy and they're, they just want money and they want attention and they're proud. Don't listen to them because they're wrong. And um, so we can't do that. So we can't crave spiritual division. And money in and of itself is not bad, but it's the love of money Paul says to Timothy in this letter, that is the root of evil. And it causes us to wander from our faith when we desire to have more and do more um, for our sole purpose, for ourselves, for our security, for our enjoyment, for all of those things, then we're not helping the body of Christ and we're not using our what has been given to us the way God wants us to do it. And he says, don't do it. Um, and so we shouldn't crave these material possessions. We shouldn't have them lord over us because he says here later, he says that we don't take it with us, right? He says um, that you can't take anything with you to heaven. What you've got, after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. So basically, Paul was reminding Timothy, just be content in the gospel. God's got you covered. He's going to give you everything you need uh, for his goodness, for his glory. Uh, don't crave more and more and more. Don't crave to look like the world. Maybe these false teachers wanted to be powerful like these Roman, you know, these Romans officials. And they wanted that kind of power. And they thought maybe by being an elder in the church, a pastor in the church, that they, they could be elevated to that sort of power because that was what they knew. Um, even the priest in the temple had, in the Hebrew temple, had power and they had authority. And, you know, and they were more fancier clothes than everybody else and were regal. And so these pastors might have been teaching, well, you know what, maybe that's the way it's supposed to look like. And, and I need to crave those things. And Paul's telling Timothy, no, uh, that's not fight against that. He reminds him, he reminds Paul very personally, right, that you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life in which God has called you, which you have confessed so well before many witnesses. Now, when I challenge you to put your name in there, whatever your name is, but you fill in your name. You are a man or a woman of God. So run from all of these evil things. Pursue righteousness in your life and a godly life along with faith, love, and perseverance and gentleness you fight the good fight for the true faith hold tightly to the eternal life that god has given you 
and make sure you're sharing your testimony. Make sure you're sharing this gospel that is the only thing that brings salvation and joy and eternal life and eternal blessings and eternal promises to you. Uh, he reminds him of that. So there's a few more things that we could cover, but I'm out of time this week. So I just want you to know and challenge you, read through the rest of First Timothy 6. And it's just practical applications to Timothy, which in turn is to the church today because he wrote that letter so that it would be read to us today. Um, we need to guard the gospel and the word of God. Don't get into foolish conversations with people who aren't going to agree with you. Listen, it's not our job to change a person. That's God's job. The Holy Spirit convicts their heart. Our job is to solely share the true gospel, not to waver from it, not to change it, not to add to it, not to take from it, but the saving grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he was, that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again, and that he's coming again, and that all who believe in him and call on his name will be saved. That's the gospel, and that's what we believe, and that's what we're about to celebrate next week. And next Thursday, I think I'm going to actually do a little teaching on uh, the Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter weekend, a little bit about that. Um, so I hope you'll join me for that next week. But for now, you can get the rest of my notes on samothy.org. Click on Books and Bible Studies, and uh, there's a link there to First Timothy. I hope you've enjoyed this lesson, First Timothy. Um, like I said, it's a super practical application for today's church. Uh, it might have been written back when it was written, but it's for us today. And God wanted to make sure that you heard these words. So I pray that you'll take them with you. Thank you so much for joining me. Have a great week.